everybody, this is Matt, and welcome to another Overflow Pod in our happy series as we go through the book of Philippians. Now, many people think of the word of being happy and lucky being very similar. But in reality, they're not. Because just because you're lucky doesn't mean you end up happy. In reality, happiness is actually a learned behavior. There are certain qualities, if you learn them, you're going to be more happy. For instance, if you made two columns... You have a happy column and an unhappy column. And I said, which column would these words go in? So I said, impatient. You put that in unhappy. The more patient you are, you're going to be happier in life. For instance, if I said cruelty, you would put that in the unhappy column. It's kind of obvious, right? And you can make an entire list. If I'm arrogant, you tend to be unhappy. If I'm humble, I tend to be more happy. And in this pod, as we continue to go through Philippians, we're currently in chapter 2. We're going to see four character qualities we need to build in our lives that, in order for us to have the learned behavior of happiness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, let me stop here and remind us all of the background. Paul's in prison in Rome. He's writing a letter to a church in Greece in a city called Philippi. So we call it the Philippian letter. Paul's writing to these church members in a church he he started in Greece. And they've been sending him care packages. They actually sent him an offering while he was in prison, waiting to appeal his execution before the Caesar, who was Nero in Rome at the time. And Paul's writing back to the Philippians. And this book is like a thank you letter. It's a thank you for the financial gift that they gave him. And in the middle of this letter... In chapter 2, he gives some personal information, verse 19 to 30. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the word that I will myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only him but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that you can see him again. You may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, Paul is talking about two guys who are with him in Rome that he's going to send back to Greece. And in this passage that I just read, you, you're the examples of the four things you must build in your life if you want to be happy. And Paul intends to send these two guys with him in Rome while he's in prison back to the Philippian church. First, he says in 19 Timothy, then 25 Epaphroditus. And then Paul endorses these guys as role models. I mean, he says this to Timothy, I have nobody else like him. That's pretty high praise. Epaphroditus, he says, I want to welcome him and honor him because he nearly died for me. Paul says, I'm going to send these guys to you for three reasons. First reason is in verse 19, so that I may be cheered, so that I can be happy. Verse 28, so that you may be glad or you may be happy. 
Then in verse 28, so that I may have less anxiety. So whatever these guys are doing, however they're living, it's a way that's going to make you glad. It's going to make me glad. It's going to make all of us have less anxiety. So what is it about these guys that made Paul so happy? What is it about them that made them special? What can we learn from them and maybe emulate in our life that maybe that their character choices lead to happiness? Well, the first one is that they shift their focus away from themselves. So the first character choice that we need to make to lead us to happiness is to shift the focus away from myself. Verse 20 and 21 says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Would you say that's true about most people? I mean, could you name the people who are looking after your interest? There's not many. Most people look after their own. I tend to look after my own. I'm always thinking about me. I went to a church conference years ago and I ran up to some old friends. And while they're talking to me, it was humorous. They're talking to me, but the whole time they're looking over my shoulder saying, is there anybody else that I should be talking to? They're pretending to take an interest in me, but they're not really interested in me at all. They're looking over who else I can talk to. They're pretending. They're saying who else is at a higher level than this guy. It was a real eye-opener at the time. What we're talking about here is a matter of focus. The first key to happiness is you got to change your focus. Shift your focus from yourself and on to other people. Remember, we're supposed to live like Jesus, right? Remember Jesus' focus. His focus was never on himself. His whole life was lived to serve God and others. Even as he died on the cross, he did it so he could be the sacrificial lamb that takes on all our sins. So that all we can call on God and ask for forgiveness for all our sins, our past, present, and future wrongs, that we will commit and he'll forgive us and start a new relationship with us, send his Holy Spirit and provide a future for us in heaven with him. See, everything Jesus did, he looked out for us from his day-to-day living to the very end. You got to look out for others. Now, do you normally do that? I have to admit, it saddens me how many times I've missed the needs around me of people that I love. I just totally missed them because I wasn't paying attention. I was too caught up in myself. We are being constantly reminded of that in advertisements and all over the place. We are being sold a bunch of garbage that says, this is what leads to happiness. This is really happiness. Let me list a few advertisements because we don't realize how we're being brainwashed. Years ago, there was a Coca-Cola ad that said, happiness is something you drink. Really? Here's a Coke bottle and it says open happiness. Okay. So if you think you just buy this product and drink it, you're going to be happy. Happiness is something you can drink. Audi came out. It's a car company and it says joy is something you drive. Joy finally has meaning. Oh, well, that's good to know. What's that meaning? Oh, it's Audi. That's an audacious goal right there. But Pepsi not to be outdone by Coke. All that matters is today. Live for now. In other words, don't plan about tomorrow. Don't care about other people. Just live for now. Sprite tells us this. Obey your thirst. In other words, give in to any urge you have. Burger King, have it your way. That's not a bad advice when you're ordering a hamburger, but it's terrible advice for every other area of your life, especially in relationships. But you're hearing all these messages subliminally. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. You're most important let alone the impact social media has on this. 
Social media has nurtured more narcissists in the world than anything. In fact, if you look at it, we are more selfish today than ever before as we get more and more wealth in the Western world. The bottom line is everything in culture teaches you to think about you, 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 me, 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 I, I, I. So to make the right character choice for happiness, I have to literally shift the focus from myself if I want to be happy. The second character choice you're going to need to learn to be happy is this. Become someone people trust. Again, Paul uses Timothy as an example, verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Timothy has been proved over time. He's been tested, verified, checked out. He is credible. And anytime you go for, say you want to borrow some money, you go for a loan. They always, what do they do? They do a credit check. They're going to say, are you being worthy of being trusted with this? Are you creditable? Do you pay your bills back? Do you have a track record? Can you be depended on? That if we loan you this money, you're not going to you know, flake out on us and we're going to lose it. Everybody around you is doing a credit check on your life every moment of your life, not just the banks. But everybody around you is, is doing that on you. They're checking out, are you the real deal? So how can we become pe someone people trust like Timothy? Well, I think two ways we can easily do it. Number one, live with integrity. Integrity doesn't mean to be perfect. We're all flawed. Integrity means what you see is what you get. It's the real deal. You make sure your actions match your words. There's no surprises. What you see is what you get. The greatest ability is dependability. So are you worthy of trust? And if you are, then you're going to be a happy person because the more people who trust in you, the more happy you're going to be. So live with integrity and second, keep your promises. Psalm 15, 4 in King James says, God blesses the person who sweareth to his own heart. Sweareth to his own heart. Now, what does that mean? It means you keep a promise and then you find out it's going to cost me more than I thought it was it's going to cost me, but I'm still going to keep it. I said I'd do it for that price and I'm going to take, I'm going to lose on it, but I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my promise. When I promise the kids something, something I do all the time to make them be quiet or something, I have this bad habit. All right, if you just, you know, we'll get it later. Well, when's later? Okay, by the weekend. Okay. I remember I promised them ice cream one time and it was like, it was, and it was the weekend and it was like seven o'clock Saturday night and I was tired and I just wanted to rest and relax. And my daughter comes up to me and said, dad, you promised us ice cream by the weekend. And it's almost over. And you even said it was Saturday. So we want ice cream. And I'm like, and I was so tired. I had a headache. I just wanted to rest. And I said, you know what? I have to keep my word. So I said, okay, who's coming with me? <laughs> because I wanted to drag them with me. I didn't want to just go by by themselves. And they came with me because they know if they come with me, they get more stuff. And literally, yeah, they got more stuff. They got all these toppings and we created, instead of just being ice cream, it was like, make your own Sunday bar at the Mancini's night. So if I want to be happy, then I got to first shift the focus away from myself. It's not about me. And second, I got to be somebody that people trust. We see that from Timothy. Third, learn how to work well with others. That's the third character quality that we need. Learn how to work well with others, being a team member. The skill of working together, if you don't work well with other people, you're going to be pretty much unhappy because we are made to be with other people. 
we are created by God that way. We're not meant to be solo. We're meant to work with other people. So we have to learn how to do that in order to be happy. How do we do that? First, learning to cooperate. This is not something you automatically do. It's one of the goals of parenting, teaching your kids, you know, how to share toys, how to put the toys away together. You know, it's scary when kids cooperate. Parents don't stand a chance. I remember growing up, my my sister and I, we were best buds. We were best friends, if you will. And, and it was us against the world because our parents, you know, we they would... They didn't do that great a job sometimes, and we came together to fight them. We unified against our parents. Now, what's funny is I look at my kids, and I always told them, I was like, you know, if you guys unify against us, we have no chance, but they never have. (laughs) They outnumber us three to two, my kids do, and and they fight amongst each other, (laughs) not against us, which I kind of like in a sense because they haven't learned to cooperate, but in essence, like they're missing out. They could get so much more if they learned to cooperate against us, but they never learned that. And now that they're teenagers, it's too late. It's great. So learn to cooperate. And Paul gives us a second example of Epaphroditus, verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Remember, this is the guy that the church in Philippi sent with an offering, a gift of money, financial support to help Paul while he was in prison. And this guy knows how to be a team member. He knows how to work in a group. He's not a lone ranger. Paul gives us three relational metaphors. They're teamwork terms. He calls Epaphroditus my brother. It's a relational, my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. What's he saying? He's saying that in life and ministry, life is a family, it's a fellowship, and it's a fight. It's a family he calls him brother. Can't get any closer than that. He also calls it a fellowship, so he's a fellow worker. They have the same task. They have the same goal. He also realized they're in a fight, so he's a fellow soldier. Would you agree that sometimes you feel like you're in a war? He says it's a battle, and we have the same enemy, and we need to support each other. We need to defend each other. We need to encourage each other. But what do Christians do? They fight amongst each other. They don't rally together. We haven't learned to be quiet. You know, you look at a church, and if the people are happy, they're cooperating. They have a common goal. They have a common enemy. They're fellow workers, brothers and sisters, and soldiers. But what happens when they're not happy? They're fighting amongst themselves. Churches destroy themselves not from outside influence, but from inside. When, When outside influence come, they rally together. That's why they fight internally. We need to learn how to cooperate in order to achieve happiness. We need to encourage each other. Second way to work well with others is to be considerate. We need to learn to be considerate. The more considerate you are of people in your life, the happier you're going to be. When you see somebody, say you're in a restaurant, and you see somebody being rude to a waiter or waitress, are they happy? No. Is the waiter or waitress happy? No. I mean, they have to work that job. Being a waiter or waitress is tough. And there are so many of them. I remember when I was one, when I was 15 to 18-ish, I worked in hospitality. I knew many waiters and waitresses, and I became one. And it is a tough job. I mean, they have to be nice and treat people with respect, 
But a lot of times people don't return that principle and they get unhappy. And what happens is, is that the people are unhappy and they try to cast that on the waiter. And, and I'm thinking, why do you do that? You're going out to a restaurant. Your purpose is to have a good time. So you want to have a good time. How do you have a good time? By being nice to people, by being considerate. You know, you, you go to somewhere, a, a good old restaurant, and if you start with, hey, thank you for being our server, or some nice salutation, whatever doldrum the waitress or waiter is going through, if you treat them with respect, you'll get better service. You'll have a better experience, and so will they. We need to learn how to be considerate. Paul is considerate of his coworker. He says, Epaphroditus really is homesick. He wants to come back home. He longs to see you. Paul is considerate of his co-worker's concern. And Epaphroditus is considerate about the Philippians' concern. They heard that Epaphroditus was on his way to Rome. And he got sick and he nearly died. They're afraid their friend had died. This is a key to happiness. The more considerate you learn to be of other people's needs, of other people's doubts, of their fears, the more considerate you learn to be as a husband or a wife, guess what? happier your marriage will be. If you're inconsiderate, you're going to have a happy marriage. Fourth character choice or quality is to live for something worth dying for. Most people give first class allegiance to second class causes. I talked to one guy who said, I climbed the ladder of success, but when I got to the top, I found it was on the wrong wall. We give big time commitments in our lives to small town causes that aren't going to last. And the question you need to ask yourself is that you're giving all the time, all your energy, all your thoughts, whatever you think about most, you're giving all your time and energy and money to these things. How much is it going to matter five years from today or 10 years or a thousand years? The best use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. You need to live for something worth dying for. You know, people spend all their life making money. Why? So they can be happy. But you know what? If they worked less, maybe they'd be happier. If they didn't keep saving up, maybe they'd be happier. Maybe if they slept more, they'd be happier. But they have this drive. They're climbing up this ladder of success. And when they reach the top, they realize, oh, crap, I made a mistake. And then it's too late. I mean, you have kids in your house for 18 years. How much are you working? How much you spend time? Jeanette and I have sacrificed many things over the years so that we spend more time with them. We could make so much more money, but we never see them. We could have so much more material goods in life, but we said, you know what? In 10 years, our kids are going to be gone and it's not going to matter. In 20 years, when we can't, when we're retired, what's it going to matter? We're going to miss our kids. We're going to want to spend time with them. So are we living for the right things? Philippians 2, 27 and 30 says, Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you could yourselves could not give me. Now, let me give you a background. Paul's in prison in Rome. Greece is 800 miles away. The Philippian church decides to send a care package to Paul in prison. There's no planes. There's no trains. There's no UPS. There's no automobiles. It's 800 miles. And there's only one way to get to Rome. You walk. 
It's an 800-mile walk to deliver this offering that the Philippians have decided to take. Epaphroditus, a member of the church, raises his hand and says, I'll do it. I'll walk 800 miles through thick and thin, through robbers and thieves, battling armies and all kinds of things. I'll walk 800 miles to take this gift from our church to a guy who's in prison. And he did all this because of his love for Jesus Christ. He wanted Paul to continue to spread the good news of hope. That no matter who you are or what you've done, there's hope. If you simply ask God to forgive you of your wrongs and trust in Jesus did for you on a cross, there's hope in a hopeless world. It says he risked his life. In Greek, it literally says he hazarded his life. It's a gambling term. He gambled his life for Jesus. Now, on this 800-mile walk, he's taking this offering to Rome. It doesn't tell us what he got, but what kind of disease. But he got so sick, he nearly died. That's what everybody was worried about. But in spite of the persistent pain, he completes his mission, and he finishes what he starts. Just so you can understand this, I live in Delaware. Uh, and Epaphroditus, if he started at my house, I, you know, I'm just south of Philadelphia, he would have to walk to Jacksonville, Florida. That's the distance <laughs> that he had to go. So let me ask you two very important questions for you this year, 2,000 years later. Here are my two questions. What commitment have you started that you haven't finished? What if Epaphroditus, when he got sick, had said, you know, I give up. I'm going back to Philippi. He wouldn't have completed his mission. What commitment have you made that you need to keep? Maybe it's a commitment to your spouse or a commitment to your husband. A commitment you made to your wife. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on this. But you haven't. Maybe a commitment you made to one of your children or your friend or one to God. Let me ask you a second question. Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to risk your life? This is why these people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are so rare. There aren't many people like this. If your church asks you to walk 800 miles to deliver a gift, would you do it? Well, it's easy now. You know, we have a car, we have UPS, and DHL, whatever, FedEx. Most people say, I live for Christ as long as it's convenient. But right now, there's a good game on. Excuse me. Eagles are playing. I'm not going to go to church this Sunday. Most people would be happy to live for Christ as long as it's convenient and comfortable. But are you willing to live for Christ at work when it's inconvenient and it's uncomfortable? Well, then you have to check am I that much of a Christian? Let me summarize. The happiest people on earth are caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, and courageous. If you want to put on the happy column, those are the people. Caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, and courageous. That's what we just looked at. Those are the four character qualities. They're caring, so they get their focus off themselves, number one. Number two, they're consistent. They learn to be trustworthy. Number three, they're cooperative and considerate. They know how to work with other people on the team. And number four, they're courageous. They're willing to take risks in faith. That's what we need in this life. If we want to be happy, then these are the four character qualities that we need to try to go for. Well, I hope that encourages you today. God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.